word of God speak. Amen. Last weekend, my wife and I were in Minnesota to uh, take care of some business there, but uh, also to visit with our, our grandchildren. We had an early Christmas with them, and it was fun to, to see Christmas in their eyes, as it always is fun to see Christmas in the eyes of children. Our granddaughter is now six years old, and she uh, is missing a front tooth. This is her first one that's been gone. It was, it was just fun to share that time with her as she's learning to feel what it's like to stick your tongue through that hole in your, your teeth. Do you remember that? I remember when I was about seven years old, I had two of them gone. And I just about wore my tongue raw, sticking it out through the hole in my teeth. It was about that same time that there was a Christmas song that became sort of a standard at Christmas time. And it says, all I want for Christmas is my two front teeth so I can with you a Merry Christmas. Remember that? Cute little song. Well, my Christmas list actually got a little more sophisticated as I got older. I wanted a Red Ryder outfit and a Daisy BB gun. Remember those? Can you believe when we were kids we had BB guns? What were our parents thinking? You know how it is as you grow up, then your, your list gets different. And uh, when you have kids of your own, then your, your list includes things like uh, underwear and socks and shirts and ties and, and those kinds of things because they get the priority, right? And then as you get even older, you find that your Christmas list really doesn't contain many needs at all. In fact, as my wife and I thought about it this year, what do we need for Christmas? And we concluded that, frankly, our needs are very, very few. We have a hard time putting anything on the list that we really need. But you know that's not true of us as a human race collectively. We as a human race have many needs, especially spiritual needs. We don't like to admit those needs, but we all share them because we're all a part of the human race. These needs that I'm thinking about correspond to four perilous problems that we all have because of our spiritual condition. You'll find some blanks there in your notes, and you may want to fill them in as we go along. First of all, we have this problem, and it is that we are ignorant of God. Now, I understand that there are most people have some kind of an idea about God, even those who deny there is one. We have notions about what we think God is or who God is. But the fact is, we're really ignorant about the God of the Bible. And so we have a need on our list, and that need is to know the truth. We need the truth. We're ignorant. Now, ignorant is not the same as stupid. Ignorant means that we're unaware. We don't really know, and therefore we need the truth. We also are blind, spiritually blind, and we need sight. How many times have you talked to somebody about Jesus, and you present the gospel to them, and they say, I just don't see it? They're absolutely telling you the truth. They don't see it because we are blind. 
and we need sight. We are guilty, and we need forgiveness. People try to deal with guilt in lots of different ways, from medication to psychiatry to substance abuse. But the fact is, what we really need is forgiveness of the guilt that we have and we know is inside of us. We are also spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. We have no life. And what we need is spiritual life. The Bible says that we are darkened in our understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in us due to the hardening of our hearts. That's what God says about us. This Christmas time, we as human beings have a list of needs that we're desperate to have filled. Just as parents know the needs of their children, God, our Heavenly Father, sees humanity's needs. In the Christmas story, we see God going about to address the very needs that we're talking about here. God wants everyone to know Him. He does not want us to be ignorant. He wants everyone to know Him, so He did the most amazing thing. He came personally into the world. He created us to know Him so that there is a part of each one of us that is innately aware of, shall we call it, transcendence or of the supernatural. We are aware that something is missing, but we're ignorant of what or who it is. And whatever understanding of God that we naturally have is marred and flawed. In fact, the writer of Romans, Paul, quotes from the Psalms, and he says, there is no one who understands, that is, understands what is right and who God is, no one. It might be said that we are not an enlightened people, we are an endarkened people. Now, I realize there's not a word like that, but let's make one up that fits. We're not enlightened, we're endarkened. We need the truth. Now, it's not that God was silent prior to His coming into the world to tell us the truth. In fact, He wrote the truth into the creation. Into the very creation itself, God wrote the truth that we might know He exists. Look at this verse from Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20. Let's read it together. What may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Notice that. God has made it plain to them. What? The fact of His existence, the truth about Him. It says, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. So even before He came into the world, the truth has been available because God wrote the truth into creation. He also revealed the truth through His providence in history. That isn't just the way that history unfolds. The way that God provides for our needs, even on a daily basis, God reveals Himself to us. We have that knowledge of the truth. 
Look at these verses from Paul's sermon in Acts chapter 14. It says, The living God made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way. Yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. And Paul says that God in doing this has showed himself to you, whoever you are, of all the nations of the world. God has spoken the truth in his providence. Now there's another text listed in your notes that we're not going to take time to look at this morning, but in Acts chapter 17, Paul talks about in the unfolding of history itself. God has revealed himself and the truth to all of humanity. So even before he came, God was making the truth available. Thirdly, I want to say that he spoke through spokesmen or prophets to Jewish generations before Christ came. Hebrews 1.1 begins this way. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times in various ways. Now this book is written to whom? The Hebrews, that is Jewish people, Jewish believers. And it says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers, the Jewish forefathers, through the prophets at many times and in lots of different ways. But then he goes on to say, he has spoken in these last days through his son. But before the son, in the past, God spoke through the prophets. But now, now at the culmination, at the right moment, in the most unexpected, imaginative, miraculous way possible, God did something more. He spoke through the Son, S-O-N. There are three passages in the New Testament that focus upon Jesus Christ and tell us a lot about him. One of them is Hebrews 1, another is Colossians 1, and the third is John, the Gospel of John chapter 1. And it's there I invite you to turn with me in your Bible this morning to John chapter 1. Like the book of Hebrews, the Gospel of John begins with a focus upon the Son of God, only here it uses another name for him. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The word here is logos. Word is logos. Logos was a, and is a Greek word. It was used of the Greeks and the Gentiles in that day in a particular way to describe what is an unspoken word. It was sometimes used also of spoken word, but especially it focused upon what was in the mind. The word that was unexpressed, the word that was in the mind, the thought, the concept. And what it says here is that all that was in the mind of God, the Word, He brought out. 
in his son. The, uh, the Jews also use this term, by the way, for God. And so as John is writing his gospel, he's drawing upon a word that both Jew and Gentile would recognize, although each would have a little different twist on the meaning of it. What we can say about the Logos is this, that it, the Logos is the perfect and full expression of all that God is and wants to say. The Logos is the full and the perfect expression of all that God is and wants to say. The Logos possesses all of the qualities that make God, God. But at a certain point, the Logos entered into time. He existed forever, it says here. He existed forever. Notice, in the beginning, the word was. In the beginning, that is, when, when, when God spoke the universe that we know into existence, in the beginning, the word was. That means he was continually pre-existent before the beginning. The word was as far back as it's possible to trace and beyond that. Secondly, it says to us that there is a distinction in the existence between the Word and God. It says, and the Word was with God. Now, it begins here to move into the realm of the mystery of God's trinity, His triunity. And it says that the Word was with God. It goes on to say, and the Word was God, showing us not only is there a distinction of existence between God, as we would say it, God the Father and the Word, but there is a co-equal existence with God. The Word was God. The way that John writes this, you could actually put an, an equal mark in there instead of the word was, because what he's saying is the word equals God. That's why I'm saying that the word, the logos, is the full and the perfect expression of all that God is, because the word was God. He tells us that the Word was associated with the works of God, too. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. When God created, how did He do it? He spoke. He spoke. And so the Word was involved in the creation of all things in the very beginning. But as I said, having eternal existence, he nonetheless entered into time at a certain point. And it's at this moment in history that the Creator Himself entered into His creation. How did He do this? Well, He became man. He became human. Verse 14 picks up this thought by saying, the Word became flesh. The Word became means that there was a transition here. The Word became something He was not before. Now, He always existed. He always was, and He existed with God, and He was God. 
But at a certain point in time, there was a transition. Something new happened to the Word. The Word became flesh. Now, the word flesh here means fully human. We held in our hands a few moments ago the elements of communion, reminding us of the body and the blood that Jesus offered up as a sacrifice for us. But this means more than the fact that he inhabited a human body. That is true, but there's more than that. It means that he also united himself to human nature in that human body. So it's not just that the Word who was forever existing stepped into a suit of human flesh and put it on himself. More than that, he united himself to our very race, to our humanness, as he put on our flesh. The Word became flesh. St. Augustine, a leader of believers in another century, said it this way, God became man for this purpose. Since you as a human being could not reach God, but you can reach other humans, you might now reach God through a man. And so the man, Christ Jesus, became the mediator of God and human beings. God became man so that following a man, something you are able to do, you might reach God, which was formerly impossible for you to do. What is he saying? He's saying that when you and I follow Jesus Christ, when you and I get to know Jesus Christ, what we are doing is getting to know God himself. God made himself supremely knowable by coming into the world as one of us. In another sermon, Augustine said, God so loved us that for our sake he was made man in time, although through him all times were made. He was made man who made man. He was created of a mother whom he created. He was carried by hands that he formed. He cried in the manger in wordless infancy, he, the Word, without whom all human eloquence is mute. I love that phrase. He cried in the manger in wordless infancy, he, the Word. He became a human. That's how the Word came. He came, secondly, to express God to the human race. John 14, verses 9 and 11 says, Don't you believe that I am in the Father, Jesus speaking, and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me 
who is doing his work. John chapter 14, verse 24 says, These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. Now, those are just examples of places where Jesus says, What I am speaking to you are not just my words. They are the very words of God. And when you hear them, you are hearing God speak to you. That's the reason he came. He came to reveal God. Jesus is the truth that you and I need to have to solve our ignorance of God. And there is truth in no one else as it is found in Jesus Christ. For he was able to say of himself, I am the way, the, the truth, and the life. I am, he said, the truth. Whatever misconceptions or lies you and I may have in our ignorance, he's the correction to that because he is the exact representation of God's being. And God, having spoken through his Son, has sent no other prophets after him, for none is needed. God said fully all that he wanted to say through his Son, the Word, Jesus the Christ. He came to express God to the human race. Third, his words bring life to those who listen. John 5, 24, 25, I tell you the truth, Jesus says, whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has, what? everlasting life, and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. In other words, John is, Jesus is saying in the Gospel of John, when someone hears my words and believes on him who sent me, at that very moment he crosses over from death to life. It's not something that we wait on. It happens at that instant of time. It's a done deal at the moment of our faith. Jesus says in John 6 and verse 63, the words I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. In John chapter 10, he says, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. What am I saying? The words of Jesus bring life to those who listen. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and they listen, and I give them eternal life. It is the truth that is, in revealed, that is revealed in Jesus Christ alone that brings life. There is salvation in no other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. His life, life rather, comes through Jesus and the words he gave us alone. But there's a corresponding truth to that. It is that his words bring judgment to those who refuse to listen. We're talking about the word now. And what we understand from the Gospel of John is that the words of Jesus bring judgment to those who refuse to listen. For example, in John chapter 8, Jesus says, 
I know you are Abraham's descendants. He's talking here to a Jewish crowd that is um, rejecting him. And he says, I know you're Abraham's descendants, yet you are ready to kill me because you have no room for my word. I'm telling you what I have seen in the Father's presence, and you do what you have heard from your father. Jesus says, you and I have different fathers. He says, I'm telling you what the Father told me to say to you, but because you have a different father, you want to kill me. And he goes on to explain that their father is whom? The devil. Abraham is our father, they answered. If, we, if you were Abraham's children, Jesus said, then you would do the things Abraham did. As it is, you are determined to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works your own father does. Notice the emphasis here. Jesus says, I'm giving you the words of my father. If you receive them, he says, you will have life. But if you do not receive them, if you refuse to listen, it will bring, these words will bring judgment to you. In John 12, he says, as for the person who hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. That very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. Judgment is the other side of salvation. Refusing to listen is the other side of listening and receiving the words of Jesus. So, God came. And in Jesus, he expressed everything that he had to say. The question is, who's listening? Who's listening? Jesus answers the question for us. Did you notice it? John 5, 24, he said, The one who hears my word and believes him who sent me has everlasting life. What does it mean to listen to the words of Jesus? Believe me. It is more than coming to church and sitting through a sermon. To listen to the words of Jesus means to believe on him. It means to have your ignorance taken away and to perceive the truth about who you are and who God is and how you can have a relationship with him. And understanding that truth, then to believe it, to place your faith, your trust in that word. I can remember when my brothers and I would get into some tussles at home, and my mother would correct us. And there were times when we didn't listen and we would continue to squabble. Now, I realize that that's not true of your family, but that was true in our family and my experience. And my mother would say to us, are you listening to me? And of course, the answer was, 
we hear your voice, but we're not listening. Because you see, when we listen, we respond. Who is listening to the voice of Jesus, to the Word of God? The one who believes. It's important to understand that belief is active, not passive. It's much more than, than, than merely hearing the Word of God. It's doing the Word of God. Belief is active, not passive. It requires a response from us. Belief, secondly, is continuous, not just historic. It's not just something we do in the past. It's something that continues on in our lives. You see, there is a kind of belief that seems to turn the corner, that seems to receive God's Word, and yet in the end, it goes the other way. What happens? Well, that belief wasn't really an active, saving belief. Because belief that is genuine is continuous. The New Testament makes it clear that if we continue believing, we are saved. The one who believes is the one who is listening. But let's personalize this a little more by asking this question. Are you listening? Are you listening to the words of Jesus? I'm not asking if you've read your Bible. I'm not asking if you've listened to this message or some other message in church. I'm asking if you have listened to Jesus. You say, well, what must I do to listen? Well, first of all, you must be quiet to listen. You must be quiet. We can't listen and be doing something. We have to be quiet. We have to be focused. You must also be open to listen. So I can hear things without my heart being opened, but I cannot listen to the Word without my heart being still and open to Him. How important is it? Well, let me put it this way. Everything's at stake. Everything. Jesus sums up the end of history this way. He says, I tell you the truth, the time is coming and now has come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Now, it was there in that day in the sense that Jesus raised some physically from the dead. He says, as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself, and he has given him, the Son, authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, he goes on to say, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear, the, hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Now, Jesus is not here giving us a detailed explanation of how the last days are going to fall out. He's simply pointing us to the end times, and he's saying, in summary, in general, here's what's going to happen. He says, all who are in their graves, are going to hear the voice of the Word who came in human form, 
and gave to us the words of God. All are going to hear his voice, and those who have listened, those who have heeded, those who have believed, will hear his voice and be raised to life. But he says, those who have not listened and who have not believed and the works of their lives demonstrated, he says, they too will hear my voice and be raised to judgment. You see, in the end, there are only two destinies for the soul. Your soul will spend eternity either in life or in judgment, in heaven or in hell. And what determines your destiny is what you do with the Word who came in human form. Whether you listen to his words and place your faith in them. Have you done that? There's no one who can say, when all is said and done, there's no one who can say, I never knew. I never knew. Never had access to the truth. Because, you see, God has given us the truth in many different ways, most fully and completely in His Son. There's an ancient presupposition that all people involved in law know. It is this. Ignorance of the law is what? No excuse. People may say, well, I, I'm, I'm ignorant. And it's true, but it's no excuse because we have the truth. We have the truth. The question is, are we listening to the truth? Christmas is about God sending the Logos, the Word, into the world that we might know who He is, that He might meet our need of ignorance by revealing to us the truth God wants you to know Him. God wants you to have a relationship with Him. That's what Christmas is all about. King Abdullah II of Jordan is a very popular monarch, perhaps more popular outside of his country than in some parts of his country. But nonetheless, he is a, a man who leads with... Um, a certain mystery about him. He's unusual. For example, uh, King Abdullah dressed as an ordinary old man. He, he put a white beard on himself, and he went out dressed in typical Arab street clothing and went down to a, a government building to wait in a long line with the common people. While he was there, he engaged them in conversation because he wanted to listen to their point of view. Now, that wasn't the only time that he has done this. He has also circulated around Amman driving a taxi cab and picking up people and talking to them. He passed himself off on another occasion as a television reporter because he was trying to uh, find out what people think 
I think that's marvelous for the king to do that. I commend him for doing it. But it's not what our king did. You see, our king didn't need to come down here to listen to us to find out what our needs are. He knows our needs. But our king did come. Our king came dressed humbly in our likeness that he might tell us the truth because he knew that was our greatest need. And he wants us to know the truth and to believe the truth so that we can have a relationship with him again. For when we persist in our lives in darkness, we eventually die in our sin and are separated from God forever. Are you listening? Yesterday I met a man who was brought into my office by some family members. He's had a hard life. He fought in Vietnam a couple of years. That left some burden. Through his life, he has experienced a lot of alcohol and substance abuse. He's had a very hard heart toward God. He would not listen to God. But about a month ago, some things happened in his life that, that caused him to come to live with some family members who are part of our church. And he came to their home different. There, there was something about him that was broken this time. And he began to listen to them as they shared Jesus. And as he has listened over the last few weeks, he had come to the point of realizing that he needed Christ. And so yesterday, in a very simple prayer, he simply believed on Christ. And at that very moment, that man passed out of darkness into light. He passed out of ignorance into the truth. He passed out of, of death into life. And now Jesus is going to be at work in his life, making him a brand new person. That's what Christmas is all about. That's why Jesus came. That's why the Word was spoken to you that you might know God. Will you trust him today? Let's bow together. Father, I pray that there's some friend here who has maybe heard many times but never listened, that he or she would listen today and in listening come to know him who is the Word. Father, we thank you for Jesus, who is the living Word. We thank you for all the truth that we have in Him. And I pray that we will live each day listening and believing and following. I pray that following Jesus will bring about the kinds of changes in our lives that you so desperately want us to experience. Lord, so often we're busy. We live in a noisy world. 
We're not quiet enough or open enough to hear your voice. And so in this moment, we quiet ourselves and we open our hearts. So word of God, speak. Speak to us. Give us the grace to believe and to listen. Amen. If you would like to pray with someone today about how you might listen to the Lord,